Now the lounge is full of farmers for the seven. Hey everybody, welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee and joining me as always from Southampton, England, our own professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, how are you today? Um, All right. It's very wet here in England. It's been raining all day, so uh, that's typical weather for early March. Have you recovered from the English men's championships from last week? Oh yeah, I mean yeah, we were we finished third, uh, which is where we finished last year. So there's a clear pecking order in English curling. So uh, you know, a bit disappointed the way we went out. We kind of gave up eight points the last two ends, but uh, uh, had a pretty decent week overall. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are are right there. That you're not far from 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 being good enough to win that thing. Yeah, we're not far off. I mean, we, we led in the round robin against the two teams that finished ahead of us and uh, I'd say won pretty comfortably against the other teams. So we're, we're in the mix, but still got a few things to work on to take that next step. But uh, can set that aside for now and just uh, focus on rest of the curling season. Then over the summer, we'll kind of sit down and see what we want to do for next year. All right. Awesome. Well, we actually do have a guest today. We're going to be talking about college curling, especially in the U.S. with our guest, Gordon McLean. And Jonathan, you know Gordon a lot better than I do, so I'll just let you uh, introduce Gordon and bring him onto the show. Yeah, so uh, I met Gordon uh, during my time on the US, uh, USA Curling Board, uh, so I was like from 2010 to 2013. Uh, and we overlapped on a lot of stuff, including uh, growth and development and uh working on kind of helping build the sport, especially out of the 2010 Olympics. Uh, but Gordon was also quite instrumental in reviving um, the college curling program in the USA. And he's still the college curling committee chair. And the USA college curling championships are beginning next week. So we thought it'd be a good time to bring him onto the podcast and talk about all things college curling. So uh, Gordon, I guess we, we got, want to start off with kind of asking how you got into curling at the beginning. Hi, guys. Uh, yeah, I got into curling myself in college. I was in uh, grad school in Madison, Wisconsin, at the University of Madison, and huge club there in Madison. Uh, this was at the time when they were in their older facility, so I'm, I'm kind of an old timer in that respect, but. I started curling in grad school as a way to just get away from the grad school experience one night a week or eventually two nights a week and uh, picked it up from there. Uh, my family has a history of curling at the at my grandfather's level, uh, so there's a little bit of family tradition there, but I really picked it up and ran with it, you might say, uh, a lot more than he ever did. And so you don't live in Madison anymore. You now live in... I live in Upper Michigan. Upper, upper Michigan. So what club do you curl at now? I am at the, in the Copper Country Curling Club, and I am a co-founder of the club. Me, myself, and two other individuals started the club in 1992 uh, because of the way <laughs> things operate. I was president of the club for 
20 years uh, and I finally got to the point and said, hey, you know, come on, guys, somebody else has got to step up and somebody else did. And he's now been president for six years. So there seems to be a tradition in the club that long tenure at the top is going to be a a fact of life for whoever comes after uh, the current president. So Gordon, was that uh, was that did that get started as an arena club, and are they are they still in an arena, or did it, uh, or did, are they on dedicated ice? We started in an arena. In fact, uh, the club that we were or the uh, arena we were in was originally uh, built for recreational skating. It wasn't really designed for hockey type skating, although they did do some practices there. We were in that facility for a few years. The village shut the arena down, and we were without ice for a couple of years, moved into another arena, which was being actively used for curling, and that ice had probably about 20 feet of negative ice to it. So you you can basically imagine that if you're on the uh, face-off circle, on one side of the sheet, to get to the house at the other end, you have to aim towards the goalie's net. That's how much ice you would have to give. And quite frequently, you would have stones going right to left or left to right across the sheet rather than front to back through the house. Uh, but once, once we realized that we were paying $200 an hour for grossly inferior ice, we made a concerted effort to find a final location for ourselves. And we found an old um, facility here. And you you have to understand we are in an area that in the late 1800s and early 1900s was a major uh, mining area for copper in the United States. At one point in time, about 70 to 80% of all the world's copper was mined out of this area. And the facility we are in now was used to manufacture and refurbish the drill bits that they used in the mine. So it's called the drill house. It was built almost to perfect specs for two sheets of ice. Wall to wall on two sheets of ice, it's within an inch or so of being to specs. Lengthwise, we've got more than enough so we built a small uh, warm room in that inside of that building. We do not have refrigeration, but we do have a concrete floor that was put in a few years ago. So we are on natural ice indoors, which means our se- wow. our season runs from oh early December to late March. Um, conditions can vary. A couple of weeks ago, we had minus five degree. Fahrenheit temperatures on ice, uh, which means sweeping is essentially ineffective. Uh, At other times, the ice can be rather greasy if the temperatures are up well above freezing, and it's like that for a few days. The building was built with incredibly thick walls. It's solid rock, about, oh, 18 inches thick, so that's quite a cold mass of rock there and it can survive a good bit of freezing of thawing after uh it gets really cold so 
yeah, it's a unique facility. Uh, look up our site, coppercountrycurlingclub.com, and you can see pictures of the interior. It's, uh, it's quite unique. Yeah. So Gordon, we met through the USA Curling Board, as I mentioned before. Uh, so what kind of drew you into the more of the leadership uh, end of the sport? Well, I was, uh, as a member of the Great Lakes Curling Association, the regional association here that covers our geographic area, our club automatically became a member of the Great Lakes Curling Association. And I was, in addition to president, I was our delegate to that board. And for quite some time, I was on that board just as a regular member and uh, reached a point in time where, unfortunately, one of our uh, directors to the national board passed away. And the rest of the board pointed to me to say, hey, you've done a good job here. We want you to be our second uh, delegate on the U.S. Crony Association board. So... I sat on the USCA board from 2011 to 2014. In 2014, we had a major bylaws change that changed the governance structure of the board of directors. And my seat on the board was eliminated. However, I was asked to take up the secretarial role, which had just been vacated by one Jonathan Havercroft when he (laughs) moved himself from this side of the pond to the other side of the pond. And so since 2014, I've been secretary of the USCA board. While I was a board member, however, prior to that, I was approached by some individuals who were looking to revive and reinvigorate the U.S. college curling program. And so I took up that position as chair of the committee in 2012, I believe it was. The first year we had something of a demonstration season and demonstration championship. Took those results to the board of directors while I was still a member of the board and petitioned the board to have that event sanctioned as an official United States championship. So ever since 2013, yes, that's right, 2013, the College Curling Championship has been a fully sanctioned championship within the USA Curling Association. Yeah, and, and so I think the one, one other thing that I think uh, I find really interesting about your curling biography is you've also been to the Olympics, but perhaps in a way that uh, not a lot of people have thought about getting to the Olympics. So... Can you tell us a bit about what you did at the Olympics and how you got into that kind of part of the game too? Right. Um, back in 1999, there was a article in the USA Curling News that indicated that they would be needing statisticians at the Salt Lake Games in 2002. And there were several test events to check out the facilities leading up to the 2002 Olympics. And I was at a phase in my life where I was not about to decline doing pretty much anything if something came along that interested me. So I thought, why not? Let's do this. And I've got a very patient wife, and she (laughs) has put up with a lot since then as a result of that little article that was in the Curling News. But I was 
on the statistics team starting in the 2001 World Junior Championships there in Ogden, Utah, and the following year in the Salt Lake Olympics. And I had the honor of being chosen to do the men's gold medal game at the Salt Lake Olympics, uh, in addition to all the other games that I was assigned. And since then, I have maintained my statistics credentials, you might say. I've done the Europeans, the men's worlds uh, in 2012 in Basel. I did the world juniors and the Olympics in Sochi and also have been doing various slam events, uh, curling night in Americas and World Cup events for mostly in this case for the benefit of the USA high performance program. And they use those uh, data that I put in to the system in their analytics aspect. So that that's kind of my other area of interest within curling, the curling analytics side of things. Uh, I have to give a shout out to Jerry Gertz and Curling Zone. Uh, he's he's the main man. I'm uh, kind of a, a uh, I, I've got his back and put it that way and uh, do a lot of the data entry for him. So that's really interesting because that's to me that's a way that this game can can take you to places that places that are you know like the Olympics like the worlds that you know you're you're not going to be able to get to if you're someone like me and know that your skills are never going to take you there. Um, if someone's interested in that, interested in in doing statistics, how would they get started? I think the thing to do in that particular case. We just had a U.S. Nationals, men's and women's Nationals, a couple of weeks ago. We always need volunteers for that. And we do every single game of every draw at the men's and women's Nationals here in the U.S. So that means we need five people per draw and either three or four draws per day. That's a big pool of people that we need. So we're always looking for help there. And if you've got – if you know – enough of the strategies to understand what a good shot is and what a bad shot or not so good shot is, we can train you to do the rest. And the best way to get involved would be to contact myself. Uh, I'm sure you guys will have the contact information available and send me an email or hit me up on Facebook and I'll make sure that you get into the, uh, get into the mix of talent for next year in Spokane, Washington. So I think what we wanted to brought you on today to primarily talk about is the U S college curling championship. And it's, uh, it's actually a, an event that's kind of dear to my heart. Cause I, I played in it uh, with the university of Minnesota when I was a graduate student. So I guess Gordon and I are also kind of grad school rivals cause he, he was a badger and I was a gopher, but uh, this is before Gordon was involved, but uh, I played that, I think, in 2003. I can't remember if it was either 03 or 04 off the top of my head. Uh, my one, The one thing I remember very vividly is we played a very young John Schuster in the quarterfinals and upset him, and uh, that got us into the semifinals, which we lost. But we managed to win the bronze medal game, so I do have a college curling bronze medal. And I think a little bit after I participated in that event, it went to a little bit of a decline, I think, largely because of... Uh, lack of volunteer support, which I think is kind of is kind of often a thing that a lot of the more grassroots end of curling kind of needs a lot. But then Gordon stepped in, as he said, back in 2013 to kind of revive the event. And so 
Uh, maybe we could start by asking you a little bit about the history of the game, uh, the history of the event, kind of how far back it goes, and then kind of what role you played in kind of reviving it uh, in the, I guess, the mid-teens. Sure. Uh, prior to my involvement, the U.S. Curling Championship, College Curling Championship, was something of a bond spiel type setup. It was a sign up and go, and everyone who entered was set was placed into pools based on curling experience. So there was no lead up to it. It was a sign up and go, and I know that many schools sent multiple teams to this college curling championship. And at the end of the championship, there might have been four or five or six different uh, levels of, of play and four or five or six different uh, college champions. When I came into it, I took the philosophy that this should look more like a traditional U.S. college championship in that we've, there's got to be some sort of lead up to it in order to make the interest in the event, the final event, more intense. There's got to be the rivalries that are traditional in U.S. college sports. So I started with the idea that we would have, oh, four or five maybe college bond spiels that would work as qualifying events and assign point values to participating and winning in those events. That was my basic philosophy. That's what I was looking for when we started out. What ended up happening is that the rivalries fed upon themselves and we found that the students wanted to compete more and more and more. And this past season, we actually had 15 different college bond spiels. And these bond spiels are, have to be, by our rules, college-only players and teams. Cannot have any adult teams in them. So we've got 15 college bond spiels ranging in size from eight teams to 24 teams. So this is a lot of participation and a lot of schools sending multiple teams into these events. We have rules to limit how many uh, teams can count for points. So, so a, a school cannot pack a bond spiel and earn themselves just a whole armload of points just by loading up a bond spiel. But we also allow for the colleges to play one-on-one, -on -one, kind of a traditional like you would with a, a basketball game, say. The two schools meet, they play their game or multiple games and report the results. We have to have witness verification that the games took place. And those points also go into the mix for uh, getting a school into the finals. End of the season, we tally up all the points and the top 16 schools get invited to the championships. So we play the bond spiels with multiple teams from schools if they so choose. 
But in the end, it is the school that gets the invitation to come to the championship. So this is an earned honor. And I think the students get a lot out of that aspect of the whole lead up. They are earning themselves a spot in the championships. And believe me, the last couple of weeks, there is a frenzy of activity for those schools that are especially on the bubble. If they're in that competition for the last couple spots, there is a lot of feverish activity going on. After the deadline, we tally up and verify all the points. And one of the things that we have to do is that all the participants have to be members of the U.S. Curling Association and all of the participants have to register on our championship site, just like they would if it was any other championship level from men's and women's down to juniors or the arena championship. I have to go through and verify that everybody that is on the submitted rosters is on our registration list to make sure that they are registered as a participant. If they're not, those points for that particular team do not count. And we had several cases where somebody either forgot to register or maybe moved or uh, left school after the, the um, first semester and didn't register. And those schools lost those points because they had an unregistered player. What happens then is that um, we send out invitations to the schools. The schools have to respond and then submit rosters from the players that they use during the season to participate in the national championship we allow them to register as many players as they wish for the national championship and be and they are able to substitute freely between draws so uh, for the example this year uh, yale university which is one of the participants has registered seven players and they will be able to register and play seven players during the space of the entire tournament. Of course, uh, regular substitution rules in a game count. So they can only make one change per game, but between games they can make as many changes as they wish. How uh, So how strict are the eligibility rules aside from being a USA curling member? Is there an age limit? Are there citizenship requirements like in other USA curling events? Um, are there registration, like minimum number of credit hours you have to be taking at a university in order to be eligible? Yes, we just changed our rules this past year. We used to try to adhere to the U.S. or excuse me, to the World University Games standards. And we found that they are tightening their standards uh, in terms of age, and we did not want to go in that direction. So what we have done is that we have lifted the age restriction. Yeah, we, we tightened up our credit hours, however. You've got to be a full-time student now, and we define full-time student as nine credit hours for a graduate student, 12 credit hours for an undergraduate student. You have to be a USCA member, but you do not have to be a U.S. citizen. So at this point in time, yeah, we are 
we differ slightly from the World University Games in those respects, but we think it's more flexible. And actually, uh, a lot of the students were looking for a, a higher age limit. And I can understand that, especially at the graduate school level. So we've got a few players that are approaching age 30, which would definitely not qualify for World University Games, but they are eligible in our uh, national championship. Have you seen any schools, I don't know about recruiting, but getting uh, Canadian players down to play for them? Because I know there was a point where I was covering club hockey while I was at the University of Oklahoma. And the best club team at the time was Life University, which is this little college down in Georgia. And it was because it was a chiropractor school and there weren't any chiropractor schools in Canada. So all these Canadian kids would go down and play club hockey for Life University and just dominate. Are there any are there any uh, any instances like that going on with college curling? No, not at this point that I can tell. I will say that we get do get a fair number of junior our junior curlers who have decided to opt out of the junior high performance program just because they want to concentrate on their studies however uh, and and you know they they recognize that they're out of the high performance program and recognize that they're not participating in the US juniors program but they want to keep active and they want to keep a foot in the game you might say and one of the things that this program was designed to do besides find a or identify a college national champion was to bridge the demographics bridge the demographics from juniors to adult curling and it's not written in our mandates but it's kind of our our background uh, uh, direction that we're not only keeping players in the game who might drift away because of school, but also introducing new curlers to the game. We have a dual goal here, find the best college curling school in the nation and grow the sport. That's why we are housed in the growth and development area of USA Curling rather than in the high performance program area of USA Curling. That gives, also gives us the flexibility to customize our national championship to fit the needs of the college curlers. College curlers cannot get away from a week of school. For the most part, that's pretty much an impossible uh, request. Our championship starts first thing on Friday morning and will go to Sunday evening. So it's three days. Most, well, everybody will play four games. Some will play five or six. So they get a good weekend of curling in. I think it's a good process to identify the national championship, but at the same time, we're getting curlers who are not only longtime curlers into this event. We're also getting the people who have, that have just started curling in the last year or two. I know that was the case a lot of the times with University of Oklahoma when Jonathan and I were at Oklahoma Curling Club. Um, you know, you 
you'd have a it, it, it kind of changed over every year. You had a couple of veterans, then they would they would help grow the sport by bringing in uh, a couple of new curlers. They would spend the season uh, learning to curl, and then by the end of the season, they were ready. And hopefully, OU had qualified, and then um, they would they would go participate in nationals. Do you see that? Is that kind of is that how a lot of the schools are are, are doing it? Yes, if they're doing it right, that's what they're doing. One of the biggest pitfalls of college curling is when you get a highly charismatic leader who takes on all the responsibilities and doesn't look to the future and the time after he or her uh, graduates and is no longer part of the college curling program. Tennessee is a perfect example, and Oklahoma and Tennessee, I believe, had a very good rivalry going for a few years at college nationals, Um, and it was very disappointing to see the Tennessee program fall apart after a few of the people involved there graduated and left. So one of the things that we find frustrating and we are always discussing every chance we get is that the people involved in the college curling program find a mentor within their local curling club and an advisor on campus, because this is at all at the club level. We, we do not have any varsity level programs. There's no scholarships involved in USA Curling College Championship at all finding somebody and hopefully those two people, the mentor and the advisor are the same person. If you have somebody who is on campus and also a curler, that is ideal because that person, because they are active in curling and because they know the ins and outs of college club requirements and uh, long-term health, they can act as the institutional knowledge that helps keep programs going. And that is our biggest problem with college curling in the U.S., keeping programs going after they are successful. We'll get in, We'll get more into that here in just a second and kind of the, the symbiotic relationship. I think it's really a symbiotic relationship between the college program and, and the, the curling club. But just looking at this year, um, the championships coming up starting March 8th at Broomstone's Curling Club there in, in Massachusetts. Uh, just let everyone know what they what can, what they can expect, and uh, if po- if possible, how they can watch. I see looking at the teams list, you know, you'll see a lot of you know big public universities like University of Oklahoma, University of Nebraska, uh, Syracuse University. But then there's also uh, a lot of smaller schools like uh, Bowdoin College in uh, Maine is going to be there. Hamilton College is going to be there. So really, just a kind of a, a really good mix of schools going to the championship this year. Yeah, the thing that always interests me is there's always about a quarter or more of the field that has the word technological or technology in there somewhere. For some reason, maybe it's because of what curling is, we find a lot of the uh, engineering uh, people interested in getting themselves into the college curling championship. And maybe that's just uh, a spurious uh, 
correlation, but it, it, it's always one that's been fascinating to me. <clears throat> and and just mentioning the um, the uh, big schools aspect of it last year, our uh, we had or excuse me two years ago 2017 we had for a finals uh, University of Minnesota versus University of Nebraska. They regarded that more as a Big Ten championship than they did a national championship, <laughs> and, and 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 it really fed into a lot of uh, well. I don't know if I'd call it smack talk on the ice, but there there was definitely an added level of um, of uh, enthusiasm out there at that particular national championship. Is there going to be any live streaming for, for this event? Are people going to be able to watch online? Yes, there will be live streaming. It will be on the uh, USCA website. It will be on www.teamusa.org slash USA-curling slash webstream2. We'll make sure that uh, we'll make sure that we post that link um, on our social media channels too when when the event gets started. Looking at college curling in general, how would how would you say college curling is different here in the United States versus Canada and and even even other countries? I know U Sport is kind of also growing in Canada, and now you see even the University of Alberta teams out on tour in addition to just playing against other other colleges. Right. Um, Canada is at a different level in terms of their college curling, but and they follow a much more traditional curling setup than we do. They have men's teams, they have women's teams. All of our events are open gender. Any combination of men and women can compete on a team on the ice at the same time in USA curling college championship qualifying events and the championship itself. Um, I know that the Canadian schools do have a level of scholarship support, which we do not have. There's been talk at a couple schools here that maybe they'll try and offer that in the future, but I'm not really holding my breath on that. So uh, the level of play tends to be uh, more geared towards getting new people involved in college curling in the U.S., whereas in Canada, it's much more of a junior level type program uh, and perhaps a second tier to their junior level. Um, I have followed the Scottish college championships, and they're at a situation that is more like what we had here in the U.S. prior to my taking it over. I have not seen any or much indication that the schools get together outside of a few uh, established bond spiels. It doesn't seem like that there is a huge number of schools participating. I know they have like maybe a eight or 10 team uh, round robin type schedule and maybe do that two or three times a year. 
and then have their championships. But usually there's multiple teams from a school. So there might be, what, six schools involved, give or take. That's, that's my impression anyways. So we're following more a path of grassroots curling and getting people involved than we are really setting up high-level uh, curling uh, programs at the college level at this point in time mostly because we've got that dual mandate and we that dual mandate grow the sport and find the college champion the our qualifying events satisfy the grow the sport aspect the championship event that's coming up meets that high level end of things and the schools that participate will choose their best players to participate at this high level and as a note just wanted to point out, this year we had 370 registered college curlers in the U.S. 370 is a 25% increase over just two years ago. So this is a growth area for USA Curling. And this is a growth area that I think a lot of clubs can take huge advantage of if they choose to uh, help these students out. Yeah. And we want to see, we want to see that number grow. Um, so I guess my question for you is what can clubs, particularly in developing regions, um, cause we've seen the number of curlers grow overall exponentially here in the last, uh, 12 months. Um, how do we keep that momentum going at the college level? I know, you know, here in Richmond, Virginia, we're in a city that actually has three four-year colleges, but so far we have not yet been able to really get in and get uh, the kids at those schools to, to come and participate in our club. And I think it's a way that clubs across the country can really increase their numbers, uh, increase their funding by getting tapping into you know college curling. What, what is something that clubs can do to help start college curling uh, at their club? One of the things that we found to be instrumental is making the club friendly towards the college students. In a lot of cases, there is a, a um, institutional separation between college communities and the students at the communities themselves. And giving the students a friendly place to work out of uh, or to to, in this particular case, play out of, goes a long ways. Uh, at our own club here, we have a night that's dedicated just to college students. So they can come and you know do whatever they want, play pickup games, practice, use the time that's available as they see fit. That doesn't work in a lot of places because time is is critical and especially in an arena situation time is expensive in the case of nebraska nebraska is a is a situation where those students have to travel a full hour to get to the arc sarbon curling club so they're not in the local community but once they are there in the arc sarbon curling club they have several teams in league and participate in the regular league round robins and schedules, they have 
opportunities to practice outside when other games are going on if there's an unused sheet. And they also found that these students are eager to volunteer if there is something that needs to be done around the club. And that's not just at Nebraska, that's at most uh, clubs where there is college curling going on. Students are eager to get outside volunteer activities on their resumes. In this day and age, that's almost as important as what their grade points are and what classes they've taken to potential employers. If they can get volunteer activities, you know, say there's a some sort of construction project going on at the current club, or even if they say volunteer to help make ice, that is it. That is uh, identifiable um, service that they can put on their resume, and not only does the student benefit, but the curling club benefits. And this is young talent, eager to learn talent, that if you get them now, will be lifelong uh, benefits to curling in general across the country. And we've already seen that from students who have graduated and gone on. Uh, I've run into students who are active in USA Curling at a variety of different levels simply because they were involved in the college curling program when they were in school. I think one of the biggest barriers is actually the beginning and getting on campus and getting information about curling because I'm sure I'm sure there's a bunch of kids in Richmond and you know clubs all over the south that have no idea that curling exists in the city that they're in. What's uh, what are some of the, what are some ways that clubs can can make that first um, take that first step and get on campus and and get access to to college students to to join the club? There are a variety of different approaches that have worked successfully for that. One of the most um, beneficial has been what a lot of curling clubs are doing with, say, corporate uh, uh, learn to curls do a fraternity learn to curl or sorority for learn to curl, get other club sports in for a learn to curl. Um, many colleges have reached out to us to look at providing a, a uh, course structure so they can have curling as a PE course. And we can help them with that if they have rocks available. If they don't have rocks available, uh, make arrangements with the local curling club and have the PE class at the curling club. This is something that can use low uh, value time at a curling club, you know, in the mornings when it's the, club, the ice may not be in use or in the early afternoons when the ice may not be in use. This is added benefit to the curling club because that usually implies that there's going to be some sort of monetary income for that otherwise uh, down ice time. And it benefits the college curling because the students are out in a controlled environment where they're learning from volunteers who are, a, I would assume, have been certified as a level one or a level two instructor in the U.S. And 
learning to curl the right way. That will dovetail then with uh, finding an individual who might want to say, hey, let's do this some more after the class is done or after the Learn to Curl event is done, and let's start a curling club on campus. We strongly encourage clubs be formed on campus because there is a wealth of value to the students available to them in a club structure that from the university that would otherwise not be available to them. So we can help out with that also. So where do you see college curling going over the next five to 10 years? Is, are there, right now it's kind of a club sport, but is there any, like, is there any possibility of affiliating with the NCAA or the NAIA? And is that something you'd want to do or USA Curling would want to do in the long term? That is a double-edged sword in many aspects. Uh, one of the aspects I've already touched upon, and that is the age situation. We've looked into this closely, and when we were looking at our age requirements and changing them from what they had been, which was the World University Games standards, we started looking at, okay, if we were an NCAA sport, what would they require? And there you get into the situation, and same with NAIA, you have years of eligibility to deal with. And a lot of the students, especially the ones that are in the graduate school level now, are well beyond what would be NCAA limitations in terms of years of eligibility. On the other hand, NCAA would provide a an exposure level that we can't come close to in terms of getting the sport out on various uh, sports entertainment networks. The, when I saw that there was a national cornhole tournament going on on ESPN2 last summer, my the immediate thought was, why aren't we there? Well, this was something that was being put on by uh, you know, NCAA, and the same with NCAA bowling, National Bowling Championship. We could be the same thing, but it comes with a lot of baggage being associated with the NCAA that I'm not sure is in the best interest of college curling at this time. That may change, but the requirements for NCAA recognition and NAIA recognition is having a certain number of colleges with a varsity level program, meaning scholarship monies available. And at this point, I don't see a movement in that direction. Now, in terms of emerging sports, uh, that would probably be the first direction to go. But given the levels of, of um Women participation, I think probably about a third of our members or our participants are women. Um, not sure we're close to getting that NCAA level uh, of recognition for that. So 
you know, it's one of those things, it has positives and it has negatives. Uh, initially, several years ago, I was really enthusiastic about moving in that direction, but perhaps less so now. So really what it comes down to now is college curling really is more about growing the game than it is about, you know, getting on ESPN. (laughs) Yeah. At this point, not only would it be getting on ESPN, but it would also be turning over the governance of the activity to the NCAA. And I'm not sure that it would be a favorable outcome. I, I We're talking a whole different level when we get to that. And it may possibly be that if it does approach the point where it's an NCAA sport or considered up for consideration to be an NCAA sport, we may not be able to even retire the current USA curling college program because there would not be people uh, that would really fit into the NCAA aspect of NCAA recognition. If you think about basketball, club basketball on campus versus varsity basketball on campus is two entirely different things. And a varsity NCAA program would require essentially uh, the equivalent of what we may now have in if looking at the USA curling high performance program at the junior level and talking high junior level here, the, the, ju- the junior levels that would be of college age, you might have four or five schools worth of quality players to get into a college situation. So there's a lot of growth at the higher level that needs to happen first before we can start talking about an NCAA program. So is there much affiliation at all between um, the World University Games program, the high performance program runs, and um, the college curling championship? Are there any athletes who kind of slide back and forth between those two? Or are they completely separate entities at the moment? Right now, they're completely separate entities, but it's for this reason that I mentioned earlier. We do have juniors who would qualify for. Uh, the World University Games, playing in college curling, but they have taken deliberate steps backwards away from the high-performance program in order to concentrate on their scholarship activities and are using the college curling program to keep a foot in the game. The team that is currently playing at the World University Games, I are all, of course, college students and are eligible to compete in our college championship program. But none of them have participated because they have been focused more closely on 
the level of activity that is required for them to stay eligible in the high performance program. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of a I won't, won't say chicken and egg, but it's a bit of an allocation of an individual's time, resources, and monetary resources that makes the distinction of whether they're in the World University Games program or in the USA Curling College Championship program. So maybe just to wrap up, we could um, ask for a preview of the event. Like, like who are the teams? Can you just give us a little sense of like who perhaps the favorites are? Who are the ones who are kind of surprise qualifiers this year? Um, like, are there kind of any rivalries? You mentioned a few rivalries between Tennessee and Oklahoma and Nebraska and Minnesota, but there's some rivalries to watch out for. Like, uh, maybe just give us a little preview of this event. Well, looking through the pools that we have and the setting up the pool process is our own little, uh, March madness kind of is very similar to what the basketball, uh, pools or how they're set up, except much smaller scale. Uh, I'd, I'd have to look at Wisconsin Stevens Point, who is coming in as the reigning champion as a, a big favorite to repeat. But they are in a pool with RPI and Syracuse. Syracuse is new this year. This is their first time in, and they have potential to be a strong team there. Uh, in the other pools, Rochester Institute of Technology is probably the top pick in the C pool, but they're paired with both St. Norbert, and which is near Green Bay, and Nebraska. So there's going to be challenges there for RIT. North Dakota State and MIT in Pool B, uh, those two will it will make for an interesting game when they face each other in the round robin. And also SUNY Polytechnic Institute and Minnesota in Pool A represent probably the biggest uh, face-off there. Oklahoma is also in there. Uh, Oklahoma's had kind of an off year this year, but they could surprise. So the the, the way the championship works for Pools of four schools each. They play a round robin for a total of three games. The top eight teams go into the championship bracket. And then we have a, we then have a consolation bracket for the schools that do not make it into the top eight. So everybody gets a fourth game out of that. And then once we get into the brackets, it's single elimination. Gordon, do you have anything on college curling that you want to say before we get out of here? Anything Jonathan and I missed? Looking forward to next year, we've got a series of schools that were just starting to dip their foot in the water, you might say, this year. Uh, Notre Dame, Purdue, uh, and also some West Coast schools, uh, Cal Berkeley has been active and looking for, uh, we've had some interest from schools in Oregon and Washington. Right now, our West Coast is our biggest challenge, how to get them involved to a level that gets them a path, a reasonable path 
to the championship. And one area that I am really, really interested in trying to get active is the triangle in North Carolina. I really, there is uh, enough curling club ice available in that area to get Duke, North Carolina, North Carolina State going. And I would love to see that triangle right there become active in college curling. And that could help jumpstart you there in Richmond. Yeah, same thing. The club that we just helped uh, get started in Roanoke, they're right down the road from Virginia Tech. And you mentioned schools with tech in it seem to seem to gravitate toward this sport. So that'd be that'd be good to see uh, here in Virginia as well. Gordon, uh, can't thank you enough for for coming on the show. Uh, do you want to let uh, everyone know how they can get a hold of you? Say, you know, a curling club needs recent, you know, would like to reach out to you for resources on how to get college curling started or just to, to pick your brain. How can people get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, best way to get a hold of me would be to go to our website, which is collegecurlingusa.org. Uh, that website is under reconstruction after a catastrophic failure earlier this year, but there are links to uh, me directly on that website. And uh, if you click on one of those, you will definitely get a hold of me. Um, other than that, there is also a, a uh, Facebook page. It's a bit longer name. It's U.S. University Club and Varsity Curling on Facebook. And if people are interested, it's uh, we, we uh, it's, it's somewhat closed in terms of posting. So if you are interested, I will accept any um, any requests for membership in that page, as long as it looks like a reasonable request from a curling or person with curling interests. All right. And we'll try to get both of those linked in the description of this episode. So thank you again to Gordon McLean. Looking forward to keeping up with the College Curling Championship coming up March 8th through 10th at Broomstones in Massachusetts. I've gotten to play one curling game all season. It was against the OU team. Um, you know, their skip Jeff Milne is really good, but I know they had a couple of newcomers. So hoping that uh, OU can keep up their tradition. Thank you everyone uh, for listening this week. Hope you learned a lot about college curling here in the United States. Um, we'll be back here in a couple of weeks to preview both the women's and men's worlds. Uh, thank you again for listening. Please uh, remember to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Those reviews help us get found. And the best thing that you can do for us is if you enjoyed this show to tell a friend. Uh, if you have a comment, question, or complaint, you can get a hold of us on Twitter at Curling Podcast. We love hearing from you on Twitter. Uh, you can also email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com. You can also be found on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Instagram. So thank you again, and uh, we will talk to you again real soon.